This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Sustaining Voices podcast, where Sourcing Journal provides lively discussions about the creative innovations, scalable solutions, and forward-thinking initiatives that are spinning sustainability intent into action. This podcast series is made possible by Cotton Incorporated, a not-for-profit company funded by U.S. cotton producers and importers, and whose mission is to increase the demand and profitability of cotton. Discover what cotton can do. The fashion supply chain is infamously opaque, but brands and retailers are increasingly heeding calls for greater transparency and traceability that gets to the heart of their social and environmental impact. The shift can't come soon enough. According to a 2019 survey by Ipsos Mori, four in five of Americans want fashion brands to provide more information about their environmental commitments and the measures they are taking to curtail pollution in their supply chains. Roughly three-quarters believe that brands should be responsible for what happens in the manufacturing process and that they need to take appropriate action to ensure clothes are produced in an environmentally friendly way. Similar studies show that consumers not only value information related to a company's supply chain, but many are in fact prepared to pay a premium for greater transparency and visibility. I'm Jasmine Malik-Chua, sustainability reporter at Sourcing Journal. And today we'll be examining the importance of transparency and traceability, the reasons behind their growing prominence, and the obstacles that stand in the way of ensuring a socially and environmentally just industry. I'm joined by Jamie Barsinmontov, co-founder and chief operating officer at SupplyShift, an end-to-end supply chain data management, responsible sourcing, and supplier engagement platform. And Ty Ford, Chief Marketing Officer at Retraced, a transparency solution that enables fashion brands to visualize, verify, and communicate their supply chains, manage their CSR efforts, and gain consumer trust. Thank you for being here, Jamie and Ty. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Jamie, transparency and traceability are often mentioned in the same breath or even interchangeably, but what do these terms mean and are the concepts fungible, especially in the context of sustainability in the fashion industry? That's a great starting point, Jasmine, and and you're right. These words are thrown around uh, interchangeably and, and they really aren't. And I'll, I'll try to shed some light on, on what we see different companies doing and what it means, but I don't think that confusion is going to go away because people have their own definitions. Um, you know, transparency, we usually think of as um, a brand being transparent to consumers, right? Uh, 
un unveiling, lifting the veil off of um, where things come from, how they're sourced, where their manufacturing sites are, and even information about the practices or what they found at those sites. Um, traceability, I think we need to separate that too. I mean, when people say full traceability, they're usually talking about, um, you know, batch level where this bit of cotton came from versus that bit of cotton, which is uh, extremely challenging, um, expensive, and in some cases doesn't even provide the right information to, to provide that transparency to the, to the consumer. Um, I think in between those, there's something that people sometimes call traceability, sometimes call mapping, um, which is looking backwards in my supply chain and, and trying to um, understand where things come from uh, tier by tier, um, supplier by supplier, rather than you know thread by thread. Um, so I think that's that's um, challenging when, when when companies interchange these words because they mean a lot, uh, much different uh, activities for what a company is going to do with its suppliers and what level of information it's going to collect and what it's going to do with that information. And not to add more complication, but traceability in and of itself is not sustainability. It's just knowing where things come from. Um, once you know where they come from, well, what's happening in those places where they come from is, is the level of assessment and, and sustainability to know what's actually happening. So um, people think, well, I've, I've traced it. Well, it doesn't mean it's sustainable in any way. It just means you maybe know it came from a risky or not risky place. Yeah. Ty, did, do you want to add anything to that? Absolutely. Um, no, I think I think Jamie's pretty spot on. Um, it's It can definitely be difficult to separate the two and... I, I agree. I don't think it will change anytime soon. Um, I, I, we like to see it sometimes as transparency being more of a sort of a bigger, broader picture, more of a journey. And traceability is kind of one of those means of transportation or operations to help you along that journey. Um, traceability, you know, is definitely one step in becoming a more more transparent as a company. Uh, it's certainly very important for the fashion industry because it, it, like already mentioned, it allows you to kind of understand where your materials are coming from more specifically and helps you with the risk assessment purposes. Um, but that's just kind of one first step. Um, so it, it doesn't necessarily say that you have sustainable materials in your supply chain, um, but it at least allows you to know, gives you points of reference to, to then start to start action plans and to communicate those action plans both internally with internal stakeholders, such as uh, people in your company, other certification agencies, other members of your supply chain, but also externally, right? So it's some of the retailers and, and customers that are actually interested in this information. So we see more of traceability as kind of a, a very important step um, in, in becoming more transparent uh, and then taking sort of greater actions to allow for more shared accountability that can lead to more decisive actions, which sort of embodies what transparency can really provide. And Ty, we've seen a growing movement by brands and retailers to open up their supply chains. And we know consumers increasingly want to know where, how, and by whom the products are made. But what's in it for companies who historically prefer to keep their operations closer to their chests? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. It's, I, I mean, those companies that want to kind of keep the information to themselves, they, they have a, a competition argument that they usually promote. And it, it's it's a valid one, right? I mean, if, if they can get a great price or they have a great working relationship with a certain supplier of a specific fabric, um, they may see this as a competitive advantage. And then you know they'll argue what's to stop a bigger company from working with that same supplier, and then already they have you know they're maybe out competed in the market. However, uh, it's it's becoming more and more risky for the old-fashioned companies to to play those old-fashioned games. Um, 
One, because consumers, as you've already mentioned at the top, are demanding more information. So they really want to know this stuff. Um, but also governments and, and sort of you know, governing agencies are actually demanding that companies provide more information. So you get a lot more laws coming around that are requiring companies to disclose where their stuff comes from and, and who makes it and the kind of impact that this is having, um, either socially or environmentally. Um, so you get this increased pressure. Um, so companies are going to need to get their, all their data in order. Um, and if, if they keep it close to chest, it's going to be a lot more hard to be compliant. Um, and then they tend to miss out really on this, on the, I wouldn't even say a trend, but this just really, this increasing um, knowledge or wanting to know more about, about where stuff is coming from, from a, from a very inquisitive market. Yeah, Jamie, do you concur? Definitely. Just, just to piggyback a little bit, if, if you look at the, you know, the growing consumer class globally, right? Lots of data that shows that, you know, we have, as, as younger folks grow up, they care about these things and that, and their interest in transparency and sustainability isn't going away. So if any company just looks at who they're selling to today and the changing demographics, it just makes complete business sense to, to do that. Otherwise, you're just not going to appeal to the growing consumer class. Um, and I think, uh, on, you know, in addition to that, looking at, at the reputational risk, um, some companies, I used to talk to them five or 10 years ago, they'd say, you know, we, we want to do this transparency stuff. We talked to our lawyers and, and they told us that if we know about what's in our supply chain, then we could be held legally responsible for it. And actually, if we don't know, then we might not be legally responsible. That's a really old fashioned point of view. And we've seen court cases that just prove that to be completely wrong. Um, where companies had huge fines for things that they didn't know. So I think that thinking is, is basically out the window, replaced by the thinking, if my company knows about the negative things happening in, the, in our supply chain, uh, we might as well do something about it and talk about it um, and say we're doing something about it, rather than let someone else find out about it and tell the world, because then that's when we're going to take uh, a hit, right? So um it's an evolution, um, and but the the benefits are you know increasingly outweighing the risks, just just like Ty said. Yeah. So because of this, how much of the fashion supply chain, Jamie, can we confidently map, and how much more progress still needs to be done? Yeah, that's. I mean, um, I, I would say fundamentally, very little has, is is confidently mapped. Um, so fashion brands know their tier one suppliers, so you can start with that, right? If you're talking about mapping to tier one, of course, they buy directly from them. A lot of fashion brands know their tier twos because they, they nominate fabric suppliers. Um, so that tier two visibility isn't too far away. Uh, getting to tier three, you know, spinner level um, around, depending on the chain itself, um, is, is challenging but doable. Once you get beyond the spinner level, um, you're just getting bail, you know, in cotton supply chains, for example, you're, you're getting bales of cotton coming from changing places all the time, right? So that's where we get back to that question of, um, if I'm trying to trace the thread in my t-shirt, that's going to be virtually impossible um, unless you're going to do some genetic tracing, which is extremely expensive. Um, if you're looking to understand generally where things came from over the last year, that's something that is possible. And then there's a question about validity and, and are you going to get you know honest disclosures from companies? I, I think we're going to talk about that um, a, a little bit later in, in the podcast. But so, I mean, cotton remains really difficult to map. Um, some other materials that have shorter supply chains, uh, down and wool, um, I, I think are, are easier uh, to, uh, to map. Um, and, and then it you know, gets down to the level of, you know, if you're looking at 
farm level mapping and tracing, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of smallholder cotton farmers in India and in many other countries. And I haven't talked to a company that really told me what they would do with that data if they were to know each and every farmer where the cotton came from. So there's a real sweet spot of um, what level of mapping is going to provide the value that companies are looking for. Yeah, uh, Ty, just to bounce off what Jamie has been saying, you know, we, because fashion supply chains are multinational and each tier might have several layers of contracting and subcontracting that are off a brand's official books. What other key hurdles do you see from your point of view? Yeah, I mean, subcontracting is definitely a problem. One of the hurdles that we've we've seen talking to some of our clients is so their supplier is not always willing to play ball, right? So, and this can be from a variety of reasons. Sometimes it could be that their suppliers just have things to hide and they don't want to to show it. Other times it just could be they don't have the capacity. You know, they're not maybe able to fulfill the data needs that a company um, is requesting. Um, so it's it's really trying to get the right data and the right proofs from suppliers can be a really sort of painful part of this uh, traceability transparency part. Um, and we've actually heard a lot of companies that you know, it's really challenging to do that. Um, so that's that's definitely something to, to sort of keep keep in mind. And then once that data is there, um, Jamie already mentioned this earlier, but vetting that data. Uh, to make sure that it's 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 applicable is, is is also tough. I mean, one example is, you know, uh, companies want to know are the employees in the supply chain being paid fair wages. Um, so first of all, defining what fair wages is, you know, we we could like maybe a living wage calculator, um, but then not not every single supplier down the stream has these ironclad contracts that can sort of prove that. Um, or what is fair wages compared to you know, what is living wages in the city versus the rural areas? Uh, and then trying to convert that and make and have that data make sense um, to all the parties that want to see that. So, it, it, suppliers, a lot of sub, some suppliers are actually willing to to share that information. Sometimes they're not because they feel like the process is too complicated, um, or they just don't have the data on hand, or maybe they don't want to share. Yeah, and Jamie, you alluded to this uh, previously, but uh, are there some materials that are easier or harder to trace than are the others? You mentioned cotton, for instance. Yeah, definitely some, some materials are, are harder to trace than others and um, cotton because of all the steps of the supply chain and because of just the, the global volume and, and the multitude of countries where cotton is grown is, is super challenging. Um, but back to that topic of, of hurdles, uh, we see that as a, as a database supplier engagement journey, <laughs> to, to put a mouthful on that. Um, so, for example, the first step in that journey is you've got to have your procurement team and your company on board with the message to suppliers. Is we 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 require that kind of disclosure. It's not a it's not a maybe. It's you know it's it has to come with not just hey I'm going to send you a survey and, and please tell me what's going on right. There needs to be some um, some company policy policy level legal clout within the contracts with those suppliers that's going to encourage them to do that. Um, and then, you know, just like Ty alluded to, the, the, the first layer is um, what are you, you know, can you disclose this? Do you have a policy for that? Um, will you identify your next tier suppliers? Um, the ones that do get a high score. The ones that don't get a low score. And then they learn that. Right. And then you're going to ask for that next layer of information uh, to the point where, OK, I know that this supplier won't tell me certain things or they have told me certain things, but they're in a region um, that is that is risky. So now there's an audit process on top of that, right? And that audit process could be related to various topics, right? The human rights question is is a, is a big one. 
um, sourcing, you know, where did they get material from, um, auditing uh, purchase orders um, tends to be, now that's, if you want that level of assurance, right? Um, once we get to that level of, of assurance, these aren't necessarily things that companies um, want to or, um, or even the consumer would understand. We're talking about back to that le level of, of transparency, right? Companies are doing a whole lot of diligence in their supply chains, and it's either too complicated or too much dirty laundry to tell the consumer about. And, and that could be okay as long as there's a process there where they're improving that continuously and, and can report back um, at, at a high level. But I, I think because of the complexity of the data and the, you know, how do you score and know who's risky and who's not, you need an end-to-end -end platform that's going to contain all the steps of mapping and assessment and distilling that information to understand next steps. Yeah, and, and Ty, what material chains keep retraced up at night? Um, all of them. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's not necessarily the specific materials that we say, oh, okay, this is going to be super tough. Uh, I mean, it's the brands that, you know, that they're, they're, they're trying to do it for all the materials. So all materials are really sort of hard to trace. Um, it may be the case that some might be slightly easier, maybe a Tencel, because it's coming from a, a supplier that, that is known in the market is fairly strong and maybe has a, um, it's fairly knowledgeable about their own supply chain, so they can provide some information about that. Or sometimes from these specialized mills that 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 you know are that produce denim, um, denim fabrics such as the Bosa in Turkey or, or Satex in Vietnam. They they because they they're really sort of specialized in one type of material. They may know their supply chains down to a certain level. Um, but again, as, as Jamie mentioned. Getting all the data points to, to sort of prove this information um, can be tough. We, we found that sustainable brands tend to be a little better because this is kind of what they, they make their name out of. So they, they really put in the extra effort um, uh, and they, they find certain tools and, and systems that if they can put them in place, they can do this effort easier. Um, but it's, it, it's really all, all materials, uh, especially depending on the scale and how much, how much materials they're getting. Um, can be tough to trace. Yeah, and Ty, the big question companies want to know, how much more would transparency or traceability efforts cost them? No, it's 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 certainly a good question. I mean, I think it also depends on on the scope and to to the extent that they're willing to go to, to get as much information as possible. Um, initially, it sounds like a lot of time and, and a lot of communication and a lot of work. And and maybe from the, from the onset, it is. But it, when you, we like to think about it actually as it actually saves a lot of time too, right? So what, if they can use a system that helps consolidate the data collection information and, and helps connect their supply chain partners from end to end, um, we're, we're going to, they're going to see that they actually save a lot of time and become more efficient. Um, we've, we've talked to companies that to this day still use their inbox as their data management system, meaning like, oh, where's that one certificate that, let me just search my inbox and I'll find it. Um, or, or they're they're checking and cross-checking multiple Excel sheets to make sure that their, um, you know, their transaction certificates match up with information that they have already on another system. So they're going back and forth um, through their own systems, through their own teams, even through their own suppliers to request certificates and audits um, that these suppliers have already you know, handed out to maybe other clients and stuff. So it's it's really it's really a lot of back and forth that they have to do, and we've seen them spend days of of employees' time doing that. So it. We actually think the cost comes from not being able to, or not making the effort to be more transparent and more traceable. 
um, if you can have a transparency system where you can sort of consolidate that, you can actually save anywhere from a few, you know, it may cost you a few hundred to a few thousand per month, but you're saving up a lot more time, a lot more effort, becoming a lot more efficient from the operational aspect. And, and then as we mentioned earlier, um, there's the, the end consumer, so the communication aspect. When, once you have all these data points, um, it's, it's a great opportunity to share this with, with the people that really care about it. It's, you know, somewhat of a marketing opportunity, but it's also just presenting, uh, the steps that you're doing to ensure that you're making better products. Jamie, is this your experience as well? What does supply shift tell your, your clients? Um, that's a, uh, yeah. So a lot of companies will say not just how much will this cost me, but then what's the benefit I'll get also. And to be frank, that's a really hard thing to measure because the, the biggest benefits are um, avoiding reputational pitfalls and gaining market share uh, and, and top line growth. So how are you going to measure the cost of a software system or, or staff to do this compared to a really you know, uncertain upside, right? Um, and, and that's a challenge. Uh, and I'm not going to say that, that it isn't, right? Um, in, in the end, companies do spend a lot of money to keep up with the industry and make sure that they're competitive um, a lot more than uh, you know, any software platform for traceability or uh, transparency would cost. Um, you know, I, I've seen companies spend huge amounts of money on really blockchain level granular traceability efforts that turn out to be too novel to work well and not scalable to be deployed across the supply chain. Um, our approach is a little bit different where we say, you know, because supply chain is a network and, and a huge difficulty is, is time to data and getting supplier response. So once a supplier response is in the network, it's much easier for a company to ask that supplier for that same information and they can reshare. So we offer basically standardized assessment and mapping tools for different commodities for different issues. Um, and those can be lower cost because they're already there. Um, and they can be faster time to value because suppliers, if they've already responded, they can reshare. And that means that data is going to flow through faster. So, um, you know, the overall cost clearly will depend on, for any company on, on the scale and the number of materials and the issues that they're looking at and, and, and all of those things. But I think relying on, on the network effect and not trying to reinvent the wheel is going to bring costs down. Yeah, absolutely. And something that's been in the headlines a lot recently is forced labor in the Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region in Northwest China, where more than a million Uyghur and other Muslim minorities are believed to be held in state-sponsored re-education camps. So there have been calls both by the government and labor rights groups to divest from the region. This is a question for both of you, uh, starting with Jamie and then Tai. What impact will this have on the supply chain, considering Xinjiang cotton accounts for 80% of Chinese cotton, and there's no easy way for a company to verify that their goods don't contain it? Yeah, I mean, this is one of the most troubling issues facing the apparel industry these days, and, and there is no easy answer here. Um, if, if, if you look bigger picture at all this, right, when a company says, hey, we found some, some risk in our supply chain, um, we, need to, we need to cut that, that supplier and move somewhere else. Um, there's a real question that a company needs to ask themselves about if you cut ties with that supplier, what's going to happen to that supply? They're just going to sell it somewhere else. So you're going to spend the effort to redirect your supply to somewhere that's more responsible, but the problem is still there. You haven't done anything to fix the problem. All you've done is try to clean up your image. So um, I think that lends itself to going head on into this issue rather than trying to uh, wash our hands of it and, and let it continue to happen. So 
Um, I think, you know, companies should be making commitments. They should be divesting. They should be pressuring their suppliers. Um, and, and I think the only end point to that is that, you know, what the Chinese government doing changes at some point, right? Because of that amount of pressure and because of that disruption on the supply chain and because so many companies are pushing their suppliers to do something different. I think that's really the only way to actually, you know, have, have companies have some impact on this is, is to keep pressing. Um, now, mapping back to that level to know with certainty um, where the cotton is coming from, if, if it's coming from Xinjiang or not, is super challenging, right? And we have we're talking to companies on a daily basis about this. Um, some companies are doing a really light touch, asking their tier one suppliers to, to basically commit to not sourcing from that region when the tier one actually doesn't know, which is insufficient. Um, there are also companies trying to you know, do genetic tracing, which I think is too expensive and, and too uncertain. Um, the, the approach we're recommending to companies is, is to map back to the spinner level um, or maybe to the fabric producer level um, because they're going to have a little more certainty about where they're buying the cotton from. Um, ask them to disclose. Ask them uh, questions about where they source from. And if you're uncertain about that, there's a, there's a great new um, audit protocol uh, designed specifically for human rights and cotton supply chains uh, put out by the Responsible Sourcing Network. It's, it's called the YES standard. Um, and that's, I, th I think at some point, a company needs to identify the spinners in their supply chain and then ask them to get that audit, uh, which is going to be assured information about where they're buying cotton from. Um, I think that's probably the, the most probable pathway to companies identifying and, and having some assurance and, and to keep the pressure on. And Ty? No, yeah, absolutely. I would, I would love to, I mean, really hard, sort of really challenge, a big challenge that a lot of companies are facing. Um, I would definitely piggyback off, Jamie, what you said earlier. This is definitely an opportunity for companies to kind of band together to press the issue. Um, and it's a great opportunity because it, because at the end of the day, it's not only just about divesting where your cotton comes from, but it's also about uh, trying to ensure that you know, forced labor is no longer used to, to produce cotton. Um, so uh, companies, I think, have an opportunity uh, to do that by, by adding some pressure. Um, in terms of what they're going to have to do um, to divest and what that means um, or, or how, the, how they can comply, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be tough, but they're going to have to sort of have a system in place where they can um, get the, they can request the kind of proof documentations from their suppliers downstream and, and their suppliers also from their own suppliers downstream to figure out where their, their cotton is coming from. Um, and this data is going to need to be easily available. So we're, we're, I mean, we're building our system to try to help our clients do this. Um, you know, really having all the documents in one place um, with, with a few clicks of a button that they can use that just to have an overview, uh, see where, if there is a risk involved and then take actions uh, if they need to. All right. So Ty, final round, what else do companies need to know or think about when talking about transparency and traceability? We, we like to, to tell all of our clients that it's, it's about transparency, traceability, but it's also about collaboration over competition. Um, so meaning that, you know, you, with, as you're becoming more transparent, as you're starting to trace where your stuff is coming from and figure out how it's being made and effectively better manage your, your supply chain, you, know, you have the opportunity to really empower a lot more stakeholders throughout the ecosystem, whether this is your, the company yourself, whether this is your suppliers, because you're really sort of encouraging them um, to produce better products and to be and to have more positive um, practices to ensure that the, the practices that they do are compliant. Um, 
but also are, are sort of pushing the boundaries and are, are more environmentally sound and um, do better to the people that actually work on the practices. So you're, you're getting essentially better connectivity um, or you're, you should be pushing for that. Um, with better connectivity, you can have better, closer collaboration with your suppliers. And, and ultimately, it, it's about that to, to ensure that you're producing better products. And there's a, you know, with, a lot of companies can actually work together to do this because a lot of companies are actually producing with, with some of the same manufacturers and suppliers. So, so there's no need to, to be aggressive in their competition to find the lowest price. Um, rather work together so you can get the best products. And then, you know, with, with that, you can use your brands to sell, to, to sort of tell the story a little differently. But if they, if they collaborate better, they're going to actually see a lot more benefits uh, for everyone involved. And Jamie, final words? Yeah, I think companies are asking themselves, how do they resource for current issues and emerging issues, right? It's, today, it's cotton in Xinjiang. There's greenhouse gases is a big issue. Uh, viscose and deforestation is an issue. Um, human rights in, in manufacturing sites is an issue. Companies can't have um, a different system, a different approach, a different way to track supplier performance for each of these issues. Um, sustainability covers a lot of areas and we're going to have more issues emerging. And so we're seeing companies say, okay, in, instead of thinking of this as a project, I got a project, I got to work on mapping this and a project I've got to work on auditing that. Um, we encourage them to, to look at this as they need a system architecture and a long-term program where they can really engage the supply chain and track performance and map across a range of issues and, and topics. A lot of these companies don't just produce apparel, right? They might produce other um, items as well. And, and that becomes a, a, a separate challenge, but it shouldn't be, right? So that's, that's why we built Supply Shift the way we did as, as a, a network to handle really any of the data that, that a company might need to collect. So I think that, that um, sustainability living in a silo within the companies, I think companies are increasingly realizing that that's not um, going to enable them to make rapid progress when they need to, um, rather um, kind of bringing sustainability within these different functions uh, with the connective tissue of, of software to, to help understand performance in an ongoing way is really um, the future. Thank you both for joining us today. This podcast episode is a companion to Sustaining Voices, which Sourcing Journal created in collaboration with Cotton Incorporated as a celebration of the efforts the apparel industry is making towards securing a more environmentally responsible future through creative innovations, scalable solutions, and forward-thinking initiatives that are spinning intent into action. Learn more at sustainingvoices.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.